Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. What's up, everybody? Jared here from Puzzling Company, coming at you at the end of September 2021. But I'm not a solo show. With me, my co-host. It's Zach Buffman, who is very hype right now off of drinking what looks to be like a standard Coca-Cola. That's right. Caffeine's really got a hold of you tonight. Yes, sir. Oh, this has the opportunity to be a, a little bit of a role reversal. I feel like I'm uh, usually not the subdued one and more the energetic one, and I'm a little concerned about what's coming down the pipeline tonight. Times change, little one. I hope you're prepared. <laughs> you just call me little one. I don't know. I got land before time, little foot vibes there. Okay, that's too far. That's deep reference. Uh but today we're super excited on the show to talk about Escape the Crate. Hang on with us. We'll be right back. Zach, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about the robbery at your house last night. Are you okay? I'm fine. But Jared, literally no one broke into my house last night. But I do feel a little upset because you did stand me up for game night. Okay. Your text literally reads, break in tonight, exclamation point. Jared. That's literally the name of the game. It's a really cool new concept where you're trying to solve puzzles to break into the game instead of out of it. All other games follow really cool narratives about real-life places. We really should have people check it out in our show notes to get details on where they can pick up this game. So it's called Break In? Yes, it's Breaking In, not Breaking Out. I'm sorry. It's okay. Welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company. In this first section of the show, we do what we always do. We have the unique opportunity to review awesome puzzle narrative style games. And as I mentioned today, we are talking about Escape the Crate. And Escape the Crate is one of the OGs in the subscription space. OG? Oh, no. Here we go. They, in my opinion, kind of pioneered a lot of the formats that we see repeated. And I don't mean that as a shot to anybody, but they... Uh, have a really great subscription box service. Mm -hmm. And this, along with Exit, if I'm not mistaken, were some of the first games that I've ever experienced. I think for you as well, Zach, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think some of the first games we played were an Escape the Crate and some Exit games. If you've never played an Escape the Crate, you absolutely should. Wildly different and varying themes done very differently. Usually take anywhere from about, I'd say, an hour to 90 minutes and pretty straightforward, good games. Yeah. If you check it out, envelope systems sometimes and have a really good, robust online system to kind of help them out. Yeah, absolutely. So, Zach, tell me one thing that you really loved about this game. Yeah, so one of the things I really liked was that it felt like it had a new player friendliness to it. Mm. The game, I would say, is on the easier side of difficulty, but they were... Very You're talking speakeasy specifically. Specifically, for, yes. Yes. Talking about the speakeasy. Uh, it had a lot of really good elements of like puzzles that were fun, but weren't too difficult, you know, had a good difficulty scaling. It felt like some of the puzzles as we got onto the game definitely had more of a requirement to solve them, but were good. Like it all felt self-contained, which it is. It's a self-contained game, but it was very fun. I had a blast just going through it. It didn't feel like I was getting challenged to the greatest degree. 
which I think is great. I, I think games like that are, are really fun at times because sometimes we'll play a game that feels like I'd challenge my brain all day. And then this was a fun game that had like a good scaling of difficulty. I agree. It really felt like a new player could latch onto this pretty well. There were some parts of, and I'm thinking of different boxes that we've played in the past that feel like they'd be a little tougher, sure. but it's all very big and bright. The production value, especially in the later episodes, is not just pieces of paper. Yeah. And it feels like it would really do a good job of intriguing a new player. Yeah. So I would, I, I would recommend certain boxes and they do a good job of, of telling you on their website, like if you're getting an older box and you're not up to date on the subscription service, how and what you can select for what level of difficulty you're looking for. Yeah. So Jared, what else did we like about this, this is what I'm about to talk about is my favorite thing about escape the crate. Cause as I mentioned, they are one of the earlier adopters into the escape subscription box space, mm -hmm. but they just didn't get complacent. I felt like they found a really repeatable formula early on and they have done a good job in my opinion of challenging themselves and iterating the gameplay so that every different box feels so different in theme, in format, gameplay. And I'll give a couple of examples. I can speak easy. Spoiler, you don't just get one game, but you do get one game. But it felt like they gave us two hour experiences that tell a bigger story. Yeah. Part of the game is on one side of the material. The other game is on the other side of the material. I haven't seen a whole lot of that. Yeah. That's really cool and really well done and makes me feel like as a consumer that I'm getting more bang for my buck. Yeah. One of the things that I remember, I believe it was a Bonnie and Clyde box that I played really early on. There was a game mechanic at the end of the game where you had to rob specific boxes and you had puzzles to figure out. And there was a way so that you could get the most money. Like yeah. you could rank yourself. That's interesting. Just really cool things like that where it's not just like, hey, great job. You solved it in 60 minutes. They're giving unique game mechanics mm -hmm. and they're iterating on those game mechanics so that each box feels very fresh. And that's important because this gets released every other month. Yeah. And I feel like if you are a subscriber, you you need that or else this gets very humdrum mm. but the people that i know that are long-term subscribers this is one of the things that they're always talking about in my ear saying like i love this about escape the crate it's fresh they're yeah. iterating there and, and, and i will say this doesn't pay off in every box for me uh, there is a certain uh, pyramid game that you and i played that felt it felt like they were taking a risk for it yeah and it felt just a little too far-fetched from it but I can appreciate that. Yeah, agreed. That especially in a game like Egypt, which is one of the most common themes that we see in escape rooms and these type of boxes. Thank you. Even if it didn't hit with me, I'll take the risk. Yeah. For that. What's the last thing we really liked about this game? We really like the online elements. It's has some more fun with the narrative. You can get videos that explain more of the narrative and give you like a thematic feel to it. There's uh, voice lines that go with it, so you can hear what the characters kind of sound like. They kind of explain the narrative a little bit. Uh, it's just very well done. There's a good hit, like tiered hint system, if I remember correctly. I think the online elements were just very solid. And I will say that that has gotten better over time. Okay, yeah. And uh, I'm really encouraged by that, actually, again, that they're not staying complacent with something that could very easily work. 
Mm -hmm. And the other reason I think that's really important, and I think this is really cool, is there are boxes that are retired yeah. that you can no longer play. But what they're in the process of doing is if they no longer make a crate, they're going to put them entirely in digital format. Oh, that's interesting. So to see them do that makes me encouraged to go back and recommend the super early OG episodes mm. to people that can just play them now in a digital format. That's really cool. So I do like the way and the, the format that they're handing for a lot of their online content. Mm. Let's talk a little bit now about where we felt like there were some uh, room for improvements. Zach, if you had to throw something out there, what would you say? It has been getting better and better, but one of the things that I feel like is a disconnect between the game and the online element is the theming of the actual website. I can like see the, that. Like the video is thematic. It's really good voice lines. Some of the, like the narrative that are on the pages, but it's just, it's a white page that has a video on it and narration and the text. So it kind of feels like, Oh, I had this really cool thematic box. that looks like a speakeasy and there's all these really bright, and great items. And then I jumped to a white page that has hence narration and a video, which the video is great, but if it's like a, it feels weird. It feels like there's a painting inside a whole white room. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? Fair. Like, like, it, like I look at the painting and I'm like, Oh, this is a really cool, like 1920s esque feel like, yes. But then the rest of the website is just, in my opinion, like white and kind of plain. It and I feel like it's only fair that we compare digital elements to digital elements. Yeah. I think when you look at the digital elements of other companies, they're doing the look of it a little bit better. Like I think of uh, Scarlet Envelope. They're dressing up. The, like the actual page. The actual page, the actual yeah. digital. And, and you could make an argument that like, okay, if there are a lot of new players playing Escape the Crate, you may want to keep it looking simple. Mm. But Honestly, what I equivalate it to is the website is the white piece of paper yeah. of, of the thing. And we're always, you know, very cognizant. And when we feel like the tangible products that we get are not up to snuff that we call that out. So I think we owe it, it to do the same thing is I want to see a step up and a room for improvement is I want the digital to look a little bit better. Yeah, because like the actual content is great. Yeah. But it just, it, like I said, it's like on a white piece of paper. Like if, like if it literally just had a different color background or made the, the, in my opinion, and they could do whatever they like, but if you made like the background almost just look more 1920s-esque or just change it to something more thematically with the entire escape the crate. Yes. And then put all that info on it, I think it'd be fun. Right. And I, right. Cause I feel like there's room to further help with the immersion, right? Sure. Because they have a really good system. Mm -hmm. It works. They have a lot of subscribers. Escape the Crate is a very successful company. Yes. But for me personally, when you are moving between digital and physical, you could do a better job to bridge that gap because you're not always giving reason right. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the space that the answer inputs is happening. And that is for a really great games. It feels like an immersion breaker. And I just think it could be dressed up better and there could be some more intentionality in that part of the game. Sure. Zach, what else do you feel like we could ask for some improvement on in this game? Yeah. So kind of like the older boxes, they kind of like are disconnected. If that makes sense. Like, do you mean puzzle to narrative disconnect or what do you mean by that? Yeah. I think like puzzle to narrative. I feel like at least I've only played, if I remember correctly, only the pyramid one, but I know you've played more. Yes. But I felt like when I played pyramid, some of the puzzles in the narrative really aren't, woven together as much 
And I feel like in this game, they were woven very well together. Yeah, this game felt very homogeneous. Like, it yeah. it really felt like it all was part of one. And I don't know the older thing. games, and you might have a better take on that, but I, but I felt like, from what I remember of Pyramid, it, it had really good puzzles, but some of them felt like they were, like, thrown in, yeah. and they didn't fully fit narratively, so it felt a little off, but it wasn't, but it was a good puzzle, so it felt okay to a degree, right? Uh, in this game, though, every puzzle really felt like it fit narratively. Like, I never in, questioned... Within Speakeasy. Correct. In, yeah. in Speakeasy. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, and again, I almost wonder... We talked about this in a past episode, if crime helps that. Yeah. Right? It feels like the who done it, the find the murderer, really allows puzzle and theme or puzzle and story to mm-hmm. match up really well. But even in some of the later boxes in between, like the OG boxes, I feel like they're on a consistent trail of marrying puzzle and narrative together to where it doesn't feel like things are shoehorned in mm. or puzzle for puzzle's sake. And Speakeasy really, I agree with you, was a good example of that. But if you do play some of the earlier ones, you will see them not as deep into their craft as they are now. Hmm. So I, again, this is almost like a veiled, you know, things that I love is you're, if you play and watch, you're watching them get better at doing that. And I think speakeasy was a good, but I have to point out that sometimes in some of the older crates, that's not always the case. And you feel that Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, Who would you recommend this game to? Who's this for? That's interesting. I think this game, and I'm going to talk about speakeasy. That's the one that I have played recently. I think it's new player friendly. There's definitely a lot of elements that felt very friendly to people that it wasn't too complex. I think the game had a pretty decent onboarding experience in terms of like learning how it's going to really play and setting up the the puzzles and the material where you need it. It it was very well done. I think I think it could be fun for everyone. I think if you've if you're looking for like a really difficult puzzle, I think it's not for you. Yeah. For me, it was nice because. I enjoyed it because it wasn't as crazy difficult as some of the other games. It, like it, it felt like a break almost yeah, from some of those. It it paced really well. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of super multi-step puzzles, mm-hmm. which can get you bogged down. It, it really is puzzle, narrative puzzle. Like it, it flowed very, very well. Yeah. And I agree. I think Speakeasy is a great box for a first time player. And it really allows you to get acquainted with what the company does well. So that if down the road you're looking for different things, you'll play speakeasy and you'll can say like, oh, if I'm looking for something pretty regular, this is a great thing to do pretty regularly. I agree with you. And totally also, that. too, that the we talked about this a little bit, but this box offers spoiler two games. Right. And the first and you can actually I think one of the most interesting parts, too, is you can pick which one to start with. It yes. does let you you should, in my opinion, play one, then two. Yes. Because I think one sets up narratively why two makes sure. sense more and one is less difficult but one's less difficult and two is more difficult but i think it's also a good jump of like okay you found that like maybe a little too easy or you played and you're excited to potentially try the second one the second one would be a jump up and continue it to a degree which yeah, is great. that's a really great point because oftentimes it feels like there's a disconnect like simple games maybe fly over on experienced player and they're like nah that was too easy this is a great game that i think could be enjoyed by both because you're getting enough content as an experienced player but if you're a new player you can kind of almost break it up into two nights yeah i think i just think it was really well done well that's really going to wrap us up here in our first section we enjoyed escape the crate would definitely play Mm -hmm. some more in the future 
and just excited to see what they're going to take to the next level in future boxes. Hang on with us. We've got Puzzles to the People coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Hey, Zach. Jared, I'm not falling for this again. Oh, so what? Now you don't trust me? Correct. I don't trust you. Well, then do I have a game for you. What are you talking about? Floor 13 from CU Adventures. It's the story of a company with too much trust. But I don't trust you. Well, Zach, trust me on this. You need to head on over to cuadventures.com and play Floor 13 or their other game, The Lost Temple, and you will not be disappointed. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section that is called Puzzles to the People. This is a fun part of this, the show where we kind of get to go on topics about the game that we had on or the community or the gaming community as a whole that kind of evolve with the game. Or we kind of take our opinions or we get other people's opinions, kind of throw them in. Or Jared just throws questions at me and I just have to answer them. Love it. On the spot, unplanned, raw. It's raw, Zach. That's what it is. That's true. And it often doesn't come at the cost of me because I'm the one developing and asking the questions. Yeah, it's always a surprise to me. Except that one episode. That was terrifying. And I Oh, when I did it to you? Yeah, and I felt a little bit of compassion for you, but not a whole lot. I get it. <laughs> Today, uh, what I want to talk about is one of the big things that we said we loved about this game, which is iteration or innovation within games. Mm -hmm. Especially... I want to talk about episodes to episodes, like companies that you've watched grow over time and get better at what they're doing because they've been willing to change, adapt, evolve, take your pick of the names. Who are some of those? I would say, obviously, Escape the Crate. We doted on them for that. But if you had to throw some love to some other people, maybe some other companies that we have seen for a while and have changed, who else would you throw some love to? That's actually very interesting. It's funny because now I'm thinking of all the companies that we were lucky enough to kind of see early on and where they're at now. Like Scarlet Envelope was actually one we were talking about earlier. Yes. Not on the show, but we were just discussing in general. And I was like, yeah, like we were talking about, I was like, yeah, I, I love their games. Uh, their third one is one of my favorites of all time. And uh, we were discussing that, but it's really interesting that we were discussing it and we were talking about one through three and how we had those on the show. But then we were discussing how like, I think like, I think they're on like episode seven or eight. And all the themes that we haven't played yet, we're, we're very excited to play. That was very cool to see kind of what they started with, like the changes they've made to their format, but then also like the new themes and stories yes. they've created, which is also very cool. Yes. That's one of the biggest ones. There's been a lot of other ones that we've gotten lucky enough to kind of see other elements like Society of Curiosities. We, I don't know if we've really been able to see them fully grow, but we have seen parts of their games from like one part to another part to see how it changed from like their first game to their, you know, like, 1.5 game to their second game, yes. their online games, so on and so forth. Most of mine are actually big boxes. Oh, yeah? Like mainstream, find your... Unlock. Yes. When we played unlocked games or if we played exits were also really big ones. Yes, those, those were two of the big ones to say, like, if you look at them over time. Exit, in my opinion, has always been pretty solid, but it's really exciting to see what they're doing, like with the jigsaw puzzles yeah. and how they've grown. Unlock is one of the biggest ones for me that I think has benefited so much from conceptually iterating the games because the earlier games, they got a lot of beef. Yeah. Some of those games are broken. 
you can like they just don't work but the later games i've enjoyed so much especially and i brought this up in another episode the machines yeah they're online they're like the app, app. their the, app is insane the app is freaking fantastic yep. and has just upped the level of their games and even even in the middle range of the games like some of our favorite games as I'm looking back through them happened in some of the more recent games, but we've gone back and played a lot of the middle games and you can see them trying different things, yep. whether it's augmented reality or giving you things in addition to cards. I think iteration has been the name of the game. And even in like the most recent taking on big IPs yep. and seeing how those have played out. If you're out there and you have an in with Space <laughs> Cowboy or Asmodee, this is a shameless plug from oh, Jared Dallenhauer to say, I need I need that contact because Unlock have been some of our favorite games and we want to get them on the show and have not been able to break down that barrier just yet. So I'm shamelessly asking for ins to e into either of those companies if you've got them because, dang it, they deserve to be on this show. That's true. Uh, even uh, I'm even thinking of like Blue Matter. Yeah. Like uh, the Dollhouse. What a dope iteration to some of their earlier things that they've done. Uh, Wild Optimus, I'm yeah. sitting here. They just released some of their newer games that hopefully we'll get the chance to review in the future. But they're iterating, they're innovating, they're taking different things. Yep. Why, Zach? Why is this so important? Well, it's showing that they can. It's showing that people are taking like the things they potentially criticisms and using them to make games better. But also, it's showing that they're adapting with time. Yes. Like they're learning what worked really well, what they can risk, and what to do like going forward. So you can sometimes I think they still play a little safe on some things, but they've learned the formula. Like we know this formula works in terms of maybe let's say the base design but then yes. okay let's let's spice it up by doing this and then we've learned people really like this so let's spice up this time and do this and we add in this awesome element that we're like okay like it unlocks they love the app let's keep the app but let's keep making the app even cooler with adding like augmented reality let's keep adding you know other types of machines so on and so forth I, it just shows that they are it's that cool thing you've seen them getting better and better they're they're honing their craft yes like, learning what works for them and what can make them successful. And I enjoy that too, because it is an inherent risk yeah. to iterate, to innovate. And I don't like, and, and you tell me how you feel. I don't like innovation for the sake of innovation. Yeah. Because oftentimes I feel like it doesn't pay off. Okay. Like in the, uh, in the, let's talk about in the games that we talk about, like, Sometimes I feel like games are just dying to try this new idea. Like we've got this really cool idea and we're going to put it out there, but it isn't either wrapped well enough in a narrative or they get so hyped about a narrative that they don't mesh the gameplay with it. Yeah. But oftentimes, I, I don't know. I feel like in our world, it does pay off. Yeah. But do you like innovation for the sake of innovation? No, I think there should be a purpose behind it. I think you can... I'd almost be more okay with it being safe and just doing the same thing to me over and over. If I knew it would work, I, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of put this towards something that isn't at home games, but like, I know I've talked about this before on the show, but like Marvel movies, like they had a formula for a long time that worked and they really never changed it. Right. But then they learned like with like guardians of the galaxy and stuff like that. They're like, let's, let's take a huge risk. Let's try something completely different, but still had some of the same things that people understood. And then boom, it blows out of the park and people love a talking tree and a, and a raccoon that you would never think people would. Yes. You know, 
And it's clearly like they didn't change it because they were just like, oh, we have to innovate. We have to do something new. It's clearly like a, we're doing something because we know people could love this. Yes. And could start something big. And that's what a lot of the games, like we said, luckily for a lot of the games that we've played, I don't know many that don't do this, but it you can clearly tell why they made the change. Like this worked or like we really found like this could be an awesome iteration. And then it usually works out. I agree. Some of the past episodes that I'm thinking about, when we talked about flashback, that was a little bit of ahead of its time and a little bit did not get super well received at beginning because people were a little confused by it. Yeah. The box said three different pathways, like they were running this multi-linear game and most of the negative feedback that they got was because of that. Yeah. So I, I agree. I don't want to see innovation just for innovation's sake. I don't think that's what was happening in that game. Sure. But it comes at an inherent risk because oftentimes you're treading in waters that, again, if you're a subscription box, people may love you for what is already. People may love playing Escape the Crate or love playing Conundrum Box because they have found a niche that really hits home with that audience. But I feel like the risk, especially in a, in a place like ours, is staleness. And I don't think for the audience that we talk to that for even for bringing in new players, you don't want something that is just the same thing, just masked a little bit differently. Mm. Or, hey, we do the exact same thing, but it's, it's just a new theme. I feel like that's the point that we're at in the escape room industry. And a lot about if, if you were at Recon, we talked about at Recon, is the future is we have got to iterate on the standard escape room. Yeah. And, I, and I, it, it's been good to see, especially in this last month of the game, Light in the Mist, big innovation. It was interesting that Vandermist wasn't a huge iteration or innovation, but it was just an elevation. Yeah. Like it, it's just been really cool to see some of these games have different plays and different takes on it. But I think we need it. Mm -hmm. I think we've got to keep having different looks and evolving. And I are you concerned about that at all? Do you feel like we're reaching a point of stagnation anywhere within the games that we cover? Not yet. At least I haven't personally felt that way. I, I could understand the point of like, it feels like thematically we're kind of hitting that point. It's the same thing in escape rooms. Like I feel like sometimes I see the same three themes four mm. bajillion times, but luckily enough, every company that we've played, at least in my opinion, has differed enough from each other or gave a fun new element to explore. Even if it, if it worked or didn't work fully to the That's a fair time. point. And I think escape the crate is like, I think they were smart enough. Like on the game, we keep talking about their, pyramid game yeah they were smart enough just not to have like the standard it's an yeah. ancient pharaoh and the mummy's awakening and break the curse la 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 like they they really took a shot like we said it didn't super land with us mm. but um but i appreciate the shot yeah uh, i really i really really honest honestly do let's talk a little bit about iteration in the creation process because this is more what we were talking about on the forum was a little bit of a macro scale, right? We're looking at it from 30,000 feet, the different games. But I want to hearken back to the interview that we had last week with Rita when she was talking through her puzzle process. And she harped on a lot that the fact that to, in order to make this game work, they had to look at their game and not just be satisfied with it and iterate and iterate and iterate. And what do you think about that on a on a macro scale when you're developing a game? 
how how much is too much? Do you think that's important that the first draft is not the final draft with the game? Or are some games just, yeah, throw them out there? I think you should always keep testing it. I think there is a degree at some point where you're questioning it too much. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but I, I feel like there is a point where you almost like you keep trying to fix something, but you almost ruin it by fixing it too much. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's, I'm trying to think the right way to do this. It'd be like, you're trying to make a food item, but it says like to, you know, you might need to stir it a few times, but you keep over stirring it to the point that you like destroy the object, you, you know, keep, or like keep you, it on the stove a little too yeah, long. You're like, yeah. Okay. Well, I can maybe like, like if I keep letting it cook for another minute, it might be even golder and better than I want it to be. Oh, it's been in there for five minutes. Now it's burnt. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying that's fully true to any games we've played. But I could see how that could become a problem is if you take too long and then you lose what you originally wanted. If you keep iterating, you're like, okay, I found that people really like this. So I'm going to change this and this, this and this. And then its original idea could potentially be lost. Could. Now, it doesn't mean that that will happen. Like I know some of the you know great creators like Rita, obviously, I think would do a great job of being like, okay, learning the role of like, okay, I know what I need to take from what we've learned and to make it better and to test it and then do it and ignore it until the point they can go, okay, I can't really find anything bad about it and it yes. still keeps its original intent I, I hearken back to our interview that we did with rude yep. and he talked a lot about a game that isn't out there yet because he was just too driven by perfection yep. and 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 iterating on it and iterating on it and i agree there is there is a balance and i think that's the word that we're looking for in all of this is yes we need to innovate and iterate don't do it crazily or just for the sake of it. Yes, when you're building a game, you need to take feedback and you need to test, 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 test. But don't overdo it. And I think that only comes with experience, mm -hmm. right? Thinking back to when we talked to the Wild Optimists, yeah. they were like, you can't play test enough. Play test, play test, play test, play test, play test. And I, and, and I, when we talk to creators, I think that's a big question is like, how much is too much? And I think at some point you've got to take a stab at it, but I'd err on the longer side versus the shorter side. Sure. If I look at myself internally as an escape room designer, I think I way under play test. Yeah. And some of that is time, money, all of that. But I think one of the things that I'm trying to grow and get better at in this field of design is I got to play test more. Yeah. I got to play test way more. Would you agree with me? I probably need to play test more. Oh, knowing you, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's one game in mind that I could think of. Oh, me. Oh, the, the worlds and the games that we build. But yeah, I, I think that's really going to wrap us up. But I, I just really want to shout out Escape Crate. I think they've done a fabulous job of mm -hmm. over the many games that they've played. They have reworked and reinvented and, and evolved into a subscription service that you can count on the next game not being anywhere near what you played two months ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool. And if you're a creator out there and you're listening to that and you're stuck, give yourself a little bit of grace, you know, iterate, take a, take a beat, try something a little bit different. Don't force it. And I think you'll have a good shot the next time. The next thing you're ready to put something out there. That's going to wrap us up for our middle section. We've got questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Zach, listen, man, we, we need to have a talk. Okay. What about? Well, I got your postcard in the mail, and I'm worried, man. Nothing made sense on it, and 
there was even things in there that implicated you in some kind of larger conspiracy organization. Yeah, I really don't see what the problem with that is. Wait, wait, no, this this isn't how our ads work. You usually, this is the part where you say, oh, it's a game and crazy Jared and we do that whole little shtick. But you're not saying that this time, so is this true? Well, if you're curious to find out what is true, you should head over to theenigmaemporium.com and check out the Wish You Were Here series. Oh, so it is a game, right? Zach? Zach? Come on, man, what's true? All right, everybody, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We're in our section of the pod called Questions for Creators, and this is where we get to meet and talk to the amazing people that build these great games. We've got a really great creator on their show today, and I just want to hop right into meeting them. Zach, you cool with that? I'm down with that. First question for you today is, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from, and tell us about Escape the Crate. Well, my name is Chris Barnes, and I am the founder and the owner of Escape the Crate Subscription Box Adventure. And so we run a bi-monthly subscription box. And so by that, we mean we ship out every other month. So instead of doing 12 boxes a year, we do six boxes a year. And we were founded back in 2017, which I realized the other day, this is officially our fifth year anniversary. So we're starting to get all that stuff ramped up. I just started doing the counting the other day, and I went, oh my goodness, five years. So yeah, we run, uh, we do escape room games, and our games uh, have a mixture of physical props. We have envelopes, we have cards and papers, and the box itself is a part of our games. And then also our games have a digital component where you log in to check your answers online. We have hints, and we also have video and audio that go along with it. So an interesting question for you. How does your background in education play into your games? Sure. Well, I was actually a fifth grade teacher. I taught fifth grade for both history and then also language arts, reading and writing. And I was a big fan of escape rooms. I did my first escape room back in, oh, it would have been 2015, I believe. And I really liked it. And I thought, I want to do an escape room in my classroom. And I thought, boy, this would just be a blast. The kids would love it. And so I developed this big elaborate escape room that dealt with the book we were reading. I called the principal in to sit back and watch this. And I was like, this would be the best lesson ever. And escape rooms hadn't really caught on. So the kids didn't really know what was going on. And so it was also my first time designing an escape room. And so I opened it up for the class and it was a living terror. It was horrible. The kids, we had 30 kids running around the room fighting over the one black light I had. They were ripping things off the wall, looking for clues. The one kid emptied the trash can. And meanwhile, I'm standing there thinking, this was all supposed to go so well, because I didn't know anything about designing escape rooms at that stage. I thought everyone can share. And so I had to promise the principal, I'm like, you know, I promise I can do this better. And so I sat down after that disastrous attempt and I thought, what can I do to make this make more sense for the kids and have everybody have a chance to participate, not just the one kid that has the black light. And so I thought, what if I were to shrink the entire escape room into something the size of a pizza box and bring it to their tables? And we could have five or six of these games going at once with the kids working together. Everybody would have a chance to work and play. And so I went ahead and we uh, shrunk that down. It was a huge success. And I remember during winter break of that year, I thought, I'm going to take this and make it go live as a commercial product. And so I started that process up and we launched uh, January 1st, right after that. And so I think being a teacher, it allows you to 
you, as a teacher, you're used to having critical thinking in lots of weird ways. You don't ever just tell somebody, hey, here's what I'm looking for, poly parrot it back to you. You want to give people a whole bunch of pieces of evidence and hope they can piece it together. So it was kind of a learning curve for me at first with teaching because I was so used to having outside knowledge required because you had to have that outside knowledge before going in to piece things together. So it took me a, a little bit to realize, wait, I can't expect people to know this. You have to, everything has to be provided in the game. And so I began to take this critical thinking and apply it to adventures that still had my love of history in there. All of our boxes have some sort of historical background to them, uh, no matter how loose they are, and um, piece them together that way. And so we can have uh, people from all over the world, all different age groups, be able to play. And also with having education background as well, I realized that I wanted to include everybody in playing the game. I didn't want to go too bloody, too gory, or too puzzle-centric so that the big puzzle solvers will love the game, but a grandma who's never been to an escape room before wouldn't be able to solve it. So you had to know your audience a bit more. So talk to us about the iteration of gameplay between boxes. We talked a lot about this in our episode but we really loved how it feels like every box you get a new theme, a new style of gameplay. When did you decide to do that? And why do you think that's so important to your company and to the boxes you offer? Of course. Yeah, no, we want to make sure we have a wide variety of games. We certainly have players who want bloody serial killer games all the time or murder mysteries all the time. But we also have, uh, we had a fan not too long ago who was an eight-year-old who emailed in to us about how she plays with her family. We want to make sure sometimes we have a game like Camelot that can appeal to them. So I think it's important. We actually go through and we plan out our games a year in advance. So uh, in fact, earlier today, I was working with one of our employees on the 2022 lineup of games. And we were just getting things finalized because we had to change around a few names. And so with that, we're able to actually pick and choose what themes, uh, so make sure we cover our bases. We always have some sort of a murder mystery somewhere in there, because those games are really popular. They're one of my favorite to design are murder mysteries. We also want to make sure we have a family-friendly game. But I also want to include in there these weird kind of niche games in there. So the games that are history centric that you might learn something, something you've never heard of uh, the event before or the person before, and you can kind of throw that in there as well. So I think it's really important, but I think it's also important that these boxes that are all different themes can be connected together in some way. And they're never big connections because we have people that ask us, oh, I don't want to start with game number one when you're about ready to launch game 30. I mean, you can play the game anywhere. You can start at box 15, box 28. But I think it's important to have some sort of a connection that leads you from one box into another. Something so that when you get done with doing your game that's based in the Mayan ruins, you can somehow bridge that to a Roswell, New Mexico alien cover-up game. And you can do that. And I think it's important because, number one, if we are running a subscription product, we want people to hang on with us. We want you to play one game and then do the next game. But also we want to... Uh, make sure that each game is a solid beginning, middle, and end, because we don't want to have people be forced to buy multiple boxes to get a whole game. So it's kind of a fun balance we walk, where we want to give you just enough to get you hooked to do the next box, but also have a really satisfying conclusion with the previous box. So that's been something we've been working on since the beginning to make sure we can do. In every game, we look at the previous one and we figure out what can we do differently? What can we do to make it better? Uh, we listen to the feedback with it. And it's also fun to experiment. And I know sometimes people are like, wait, why are you experimenting with us? Well, 
we have plenty of playtesting groups that play our games, but ultimately you don't know how the general public are going to like it until you release the game and you have 20,000 people playing it, 25,000 people playing it once, and suddenly you find out, oh, you know, maybe people really like this idea of a murder mystery or splitting a big game into two games. Let's keep that going. So a lot of it's trial and error, listening to feedback and figuring out what we like and what our customers like. So from Escape the Crate kind of starting off small to the where it is now, kind of the growth over the years, how did that happen? What did you guys do? I will say, like when I started, we, we started before there were pretty much any other things in the market. The only people on the market before us were Hunter Killer because they were out a long time. And then um, I believe it was called Mysterious Experiences Company then. I think it's Murder Mystery in a Box now. They were out before us as well. And so we didn't have much to compare to. So I was thinking when we got started, we would sell maybe 20 boxes a month. And I thought, this can pay my cable bill and we can do it. And the first year, you know, we built up a little bit. It was great. But then... Once you get past the thousand box mark is when everything starts to change. And if you are a creator, you can handle fulfilling for yourself a hundred boxes, 200 boxes yourself. That's not a problem. But once you get past that thousand, it's when you start to realize you are losing all of your time that you should be doing creating with actually stuffing boxes. And I remember we reached uh, the stage where we had, I think, four or 5,000 boxes that were going out and we were still doing it out of our house. And my mail carrier was ready to kill me. Like, seriously, I would show up at the post office and the people at the back dock would be like doing crosses at me and going, no, get away. We don't want your boxes. And that's when we made the decision we had to go to doing a fulfillment partner, which was actually terrifying for us because I'm a control freak. And once again, it goes with that teacher background. You want to control everything. And suddenly now you have other people, you know, making the boxes, stuffing envelopes for you. You lose that control. And, you know, the first couple of times that there'd be an odd envelope that wasn't stuffed properly and a customer would call and complain, I'm like in the corner crying to myself, oh no, I've ruined everything. That person's escape room game is ruined. And so I've had to kind of get over that. But as we've grown, it's interesting. Things follow a pattern. Things always follow a pattern if you look carefully. And I think anybody that's starting a business, if you actually look month to month, you can make a pretty decent prediction of where things are going to go. Um, and it took me a while to figure that out. But about year three is when I started to figure that out. Because before that, we'd order way too many of something or not enough of something. Um, but then everything changed with the pandemic. Everything completely changed uh, because we had once again had looked at our planning and we thought, oh, okay, March is coming. We're not going to be as much as we were at Christmas time. We're going to start the kind of downward trend until July and then we'll start going up again. And then the pandemic hit and we were caught in a complete surprise with everything because we went from one day of thinking, oh no, a pandemic's hitting. No one's going to have any money or want to buy an escape room box to suddenly realizing, wait, everyone's going to be stuck at home and they can't go outside their house. Everyone wants escape room boxes. So it was a mad scramble back in 2020 of getting caught up with everything. And um, there were a lot of nights that I would go, even when I have employees working with me, I would go 22 hours being awake and then sleep two or three hours just to keep up with the demand. And um, so that's been interesting. And then I've noticed since the pandemic hit, we have had nothing to support with following numbers anymore. Nothing makes sense. The world is chaos. So, you know, we have had to kind of realize that, yes, we are a subscription company, but we also sell our one-time boxes as well, which has been a big help with us because we are allowed to over-order now, because if we over-order, we can at least still sell the extras that we had. 
And so that's things that we've had to learn along the way. There is no school out there. There are business schools, but there is no school out there that says, how do you manage a subscription box company in a pandemic? There's nothing out there. You have to kind of just wing it as you go. And then also find the time to actually do the creative. Because if, you, if you're doing this job, it's hard sometimes to remember, hey, stop, you have to create the next box. You can't just worry about fulfilling and making stuff. You have to stop and make the next box or else you'll get caught un, you know, unawares and not make the next deadline. Because everything's according to deadlines in this business. You have to meet those deadlines. So Chris, if you could go back and do one thing differently, what would you change? What would you do differently? That would change like every day. I would change everything uh, with it. I will say there are creatively, and I know there are a lot of people who are uh, big escape room fans or big puzzle fans who sometimes don't like the choices we made of our boxes or our puzzle types, but I don't have too many creative things we would do differently. It's just, I do wish that at the beginning, we began, like I said, when there wasn't a lot in the market, I wasn't expecting it to be a full-time gig. I thought we'd have a side gig. We kind of released boxes that were plain brown boxes with uh, papers that I hand cut myself or sometimes hand wrote or hand black lit myself with it. And so when we first came out in the market, a lot of our um, a big escape room fans and reviewers kind of saw us and they went, oh, well, this isn't the quality that we want. And they haven't realized that we continue to evolve as we go throughout the time. And, you know, they won't look at us or they won't, you know, recommend us because they don't like what we did in 2017. So I wish we had done that. I also wish we had moved away from doing everything in-house sooner. Because like I said earlier, there was a while there where there were some boxes where we spent so long making the boxes ourselves that when it came time to design the box, you know, we had a week and a half to design a box and that's not ideal. So whereas now we have two months to devote just to puzzle design, it's a lot nicer to, um, to do that. So I wish we had done that. And also this is big for anybody who's going into the puzzle design is don't forget marketing. I am not a social media fan myself. Like my Facebook is updated like three times a year, my personal Facebook page. Like there are people that probably think I'm dead. They, they, they think I've just disappeared. And so with the business, I started up a Facebook page and then for like three and a half years, I sat there, didn't do anything with it, didn't engage fans. And then suddenly now that I've hired like social media specialists who are kind of helping me out with it, I'm realizing you know, I should have been working on that for three years or three and a half years because now I feel like we're playing catch up. And the same thing on marketing. You know, I we we spent about $100 a month on ads until this past August when we actually launched our first marketing campaign. We never did marketing campaigns before. So I think it's very important, even though it may seem as a creator really far down on what you want, you need to focus on those social aspects as well. Because that's something I did not focus on and I wish we had sooner. Can you tell us what's in the future for Escape the Crate? You can tell us as little or as much as you want, but we're excited to hear what's up next for them. Yeah, so right now we have, uh, we're about to launch our 30th box coming up. And although that may not be as much as some companies that do it every month, that's still a lot for us to fulfill. Uh, and so especially to go back to our first boxes, those were ones we had that had 12, 13 envelopes inside of it, handmade products. It's awfully hard for us to suddenly produce in the thousands. And so we had to permanently retire games one through six and not sell physical boxes anymore. But we also realized that there are people that still want to play those games. So we are moving a focus of our games into some into virtual or digital games. And we use the telescape system where we're able to take those games, those old games, and kind of 
redo them in a new light. We change up some puzzles that maybe we don't like as much. We add some new puzzles in and uh, we make them work in a 3D environment. So, so far we have a standalone game, Escape the Yeti, which we have, which is our own brand new story. And then we've also gone back through to our first game, Escape the Spy Mistress, and turned that into a digital game. And then this year in 2020, we still have two games still to launch, uh, one of which is an old game re being redone and one of which is a holiday game that we are doing that is made for families. Um, so that is a focus that we have. And eventually, we'd like to make it so that all of those really old boxes we can't sell on a daily basis will be available as Telescape games. And then eventually, you know, if we have to start retiring boxes 10 and up, the ones that are available all the time, we'd be able to immediately launch those as Telescape games. That way nobody misses a game. As for the boxes themselves, we've done uh, a lot of work the last year and a half of getting videos and audios into the game, hiring voice actors to actually do these characters. And we're continuing with that. And we're having some more um, digital elements that come in. But people really like our mysteries. And we don't want to do a murder mystery more than once a year, maybe twice a year thrown in there. So like our box is coming up for the holidays this year is called Escape the Gold Rush Robbery. And what I like about that is that it's actually a three-part game. And in that, we have two regular escape room game sections, but we also have a mystery section in there, too. And it's not a murder mystery, so our younger players that are playing at Holiday won't have to worry about, you know, something being too bloody or too shocking. But it's a robbery. Someone stole a prospector's gold. And so you got to figure out which one of the suspects, you know, is it the bartender? Is it the outlaws, the greedy uh, gold panner ne that's next door? Which one of them could have taken it? So we're kind of mashing together some of our themes into a box now coming up. We have a couple other ones coming up that we're kind of mashing different themes together under a theme. So that way, if you're playing multiple games at once within a box, they can at least feel like completely different games within a box. So if there's a customer that really likes mysteries, they're going to get that a little bit more than just waiting once a year for a mystery. And we ask this question to everybody, but what else are you playing in adjacent spaces or in the space that we cover at the podcast? Anything that you're looking forward to would be awesome. Well, this is probably embarrassing for me because I play this solo. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's so sad. He doesn't have any friends. No, I prefer to play it solo because I'm in work mode when I do it. I am actually a big fan right now of legacy board games. And those are the board games that if you play a round of it, the, the decisions you make in that round affect the next round. And so, like, there's a game called Pandemic Legacy. And, I mean, how appropriate was I still being in a pandemic, a pandemic to play that? And so I like playing that sort of game. And so I, myself, I'll sit down and just by myself, so I can't yell at anybody else. It's my own fault if I, you know, lose a country to this horrible disease. I sometimes just play that at night. And so my significant other sits there and stares at me and goes, boy, Chris, you were just like watching TV while playing with little dice and cubes all over a board. I love it. But I also find that that really intrigues me and gets me to think as a creator. I love how many options that a game can change based off of something that I do. And it's not like the creator knows I'm going to make the decision to sacrifice Brazil to a pandemic, but that decision can come back to majorly bite me later on. And so we've been trying to actually uh, apply that to our games. Our Camelot game, we actually have a legacy element inside of that, where if you neglect 
killing off a bad guy earlier on that game, that bad guy will have more power at the end of the game and cause harder puzzles for you. So it takes some strategy that we have in there. And I'm also really impressed by the story tale of a, uh, sorry, the storytelling of a game like uh, Gloomhaven, uh, the, which is a legacy game that, you know, you can fit a, an entire fantasy novel that would be like, you know, a 500 page book into a board game you play. And that's what we do as creators is we tell a story with, not a lot of time, not a lot of space, not a lot of writing. I think it's really impressive. So I've been playing a lot of those and kind of getting my creative juices flowing. Chris, we just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show, for sending us some games to check out. Thank you. Thank you. If you are wanting to check out Escape the Crate, you can go to escape-the-crate.com. If you don't put those dashes in there, you will end up at a dog grooming kennel. Be sure to put the dashes in between escape and the and the and crate and then you'll be heading at the right place be sure to check them out if you've played a game for them find them on social media leave them a great review let chris know how great of a job that they're doing and the same thing you can do for us isn't that right zach yeah you can do the same thing for us. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things you guys can do for us as well. Um, you can go to Google, you, you can go to Stitcher, go to Spotify, iTunes, whatever, wherever you listen to us on, and you can leave us a five-star review. If you've been enjoying it, we would very much appreciate it. You can also just put us on our regular downloads so you always know when the next episode is coming up or when it has now arrived to your phone or computer or TV or wherever you listen. That'd be great. Uh, or you can go to our social medias, which is at Puzzling Company on Instagram or Facebook, and you can contact us on there. That's dope. Yeah. Zach, we start a new month of games next week. And as always, we're coming at you with new material at the beginning of the month. Do you know what we're playing? I have an idea. I think we're going to be covering adventure games. Oh, by our good friends at Thames and Cosmos. That's correct. I think the two that we have is the Dungeon as well as Monochrome Inc. Yeah, I'm excited about these. Just even like if you weighed a adventure games box versus an exit box. Again, same parent company here, different creators though. It's way heavier. And the box says it's going to be long and story driven. And I'm intrigued to dig into these. I'm not going to lie. Same. Well, we just want to say thank you to everybody for checking us out. We will be back next week. Until then, this has been Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Podcast.